Amen. Are you ready for the word? All right. Before that, I want to express my gratefulness to Pastor Chris and Bishop for giving me this opportunity. Thank you. We don't take lightly the opportunity to be in front of the people of God and speak on behalf of God. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence. We know that in your presence there's fullness of joy. We thank you for the joy that your word is going to bring us this morning. We thank you for the transformation that will occur this morning. We thank you for the breakthrough because we are in your presence. Father, I pray that you will use me as your instrument, that my flesh would not speak, that everything that I say will come straight from you. I pray for your people, Holy Spirit, open their minds, give them understanding, allow them to receive the word that you have for them, the word that will transform them as they go out in the word and as they work to bring about a world where no one lives or dies without Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. As I said, last week we broke ground here. It was a powerful ceremony. And in a few years, three or four years, our cathedral will be standing right there. Yes, with a new sanctuary. We won't have to break down, set up. We won't have to meet in a gym. God is doing something unique. We had about 800 people here last, last week, last Sunday. Something that had never happened before. So it's a sign that we are sowing a seed. Pastor, Pastor P preached in the first service about the power of the seed. We have sown and we are sowing a seed that will grow. And the harvest is sure. The harvest is certain. Amen? Now, this is a multi-million dollar project that we are undertaking. In a time like this, people will look at us. The world will look at us and wonder, are these people crazy? Maybe even people from the congregation, members of the congregation will wonder, are you guys crazy? What are you talking about? When we consider the situation of the world today, the current social and economic context of the U.S. and the world, this is not the time to do something like this. So this may appear completely unreasonable and to many, crazy. What kind of people are we that will be bold enough to undertake this kind of project at a time like this when people are struggling? People are struggling with jobs. People are struggling with sickness. Just a few numbers. For almost two years now, the COVID-19 pandemic affected 219 million people around the world. 4.5 million died. 4.5 million died. And it is said that these numbers are just underestimated because they could be, they, they are actually more than this. Only in the U.S., about 650,000 people died, more than half a million. 
and there are some collateral effects that I cannot even think about. More than ever, the world is feeling the effects of climate change. Look around you. See what happened a few weeks ago. Here in Maryland, in New York, in New Jersey, people are still suffering. And apparently up to 50 people died from the Ida hurricane. And events like this are being multiplied around the world. In California, the fires, they have been since the beginning of this year, more than 7,000 fires burning 2 million acres of land. 2 million acres of land and destroying more than 3,000 buildings. Every year I see what happens in California and I wonder, how is this state going to recover? And how is the country as a whole going to recover from this? Even if it's the biggest and the, the richest state, it's tough. 2 million acres of land, 3,000 buildings. That's a lot. You saw the floodings that happened in, in Europe, in Germany, in Belgium. They say that about two, 200 people died and 300 people are still unaccounted for to date in Germany, Belgium, and France. You know what's happening in Africa, in Madagascar, with the, a severe famine in Madagascar. A severe famine in Ethiopia and, and in that area and look at what, what is happening in Afghanistan. What recently happened in Afghanistan with the bombing that killed 60 Afghan and 13 Americans. Well, I can go on and on and on and on. You watch the news, you know what's going on. So this doesn't really seem to be the time for social undertaking. So are we crazy? Are we crazy? The statistics are not at all conducive to this, this kind of investment. So the reality is there is a lot of fear. People are afraid. And people are asking themselves, is the world ending? Maybe it's the end of the world. Maybe everything will just end in, in, in the, 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 the next coming months or in a couple of years. <laughs> but church, let me submit to you that what's happening is not the end of the world. It's not. It's not the end of the world. These are end times. But this is not the end of the world. End times started more than 2,000 years ago when Jesus went up to the Father. End times started. And he promised us that we will see things. There will be war. There will be rumors of war, but it will still not be the end. So this is not the end of the world. It's not. There have been pandemics before. There have been pandemics before. The climate has been changing. Even though right now we can feel its effect at a different level. There have been natural disasters before. There have been tsunamis, you remember. But that has never stopped the world from, from, from moving forward. The world has always moved forward. People have, have, have kept inventing. Coming up with new stuff, new phones or whatever. So none of that is stopping the world from moving forward. Yet we need to acknowledge that what's happening now is just humanity suffering from the consequences of some of the bad choices that we have made over the years. That's all. It's not punishment or anything. It's our doing. It's our doing. 
But these are also actions from some diabolic forces hidden with a very dark agenda. We know that. We understand that. This whole COVID thing, it's a dark thing from the devil. We know that. But it's still not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. But people are, the world, the world is wondering. What can we do? What can we do? What is the solution to, to, to this turmoil? Everything seems to be upside down. What should we do? What is the solution? And when all of that is happening, a church like ours, we are investing in a multi-million project. Like what we saw. What's happening? Well, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this morning, the Lord is telling you, the Lord is telling me, that the solution to the problems of this world is the church. The church is the solution to the problems of this world. So when we undertake a multi-million dollar project like this, it is because we know who we are. Oh, we're supposed to know who we are. We are the solution to the problems of the world. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about an organization. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about myself. We are the solution to the problems of the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am the solution to the problems of the world. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The title of the message is Let Your Light Shine to Its Fullest. Let your light shine to its fullest. You and I as believers, members of the body of Christ, are individually and collectively, as a church body of Christ, community of believers, the solution to the problem of this world. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 5, 14 through 16. A very common, very simple passage that we read all the time. Nobody here can say they have never read that, that passage unless they don't read their Bible. If you read your Bible, I'm sure <laughs> at some point you have read that passage. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. All right, let's have it on the screen. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're going to dissect those three verses this morning. The first thing that comes up when we read this is that Jesus here, that was part of his sermon on, on the mountain, a famous sermon, one of his most powerful and most important sermons. Jesus here is reminding us of what is part of our identity. Our identity, the identity of the church. 
your identity, my identity. It's so important to be reminded of our identity every now and then. Because the world fools us. Our flesh fools us. We are fooled by so many things. We no longer know who we are. Verse 14, establish us as the light of the world. You are the light of the world. <laughs> the church is the light of the world. What does that mean? It means that naturally the world lives in darkness. So everything that you, have, you see happening, that's just the nature of a world living in darkness. The world is dark. It is dark. And it has been in this state since the fall. We live in a broken world. The world is broken. There is no light. There is darkness. And God is telling you, God is telling me that you are the light. In the midst of that darkness, God has strategically placed you, has strategically placed me to give light. You are the light. I am the light. That's how you should see yourself. That's how I should see myself. So the world owes every single ray of light to the children of God. Only you and only I can illuminate the world. So if you were thinking very lowly of yourself because someone in your family used to tell you you are nothing. You are nobody. Can you imagine what God has entrusted you with? God is telling you that this world, this is, there's darkness around you. And you have the responsibility, I have the responsibility to bring light. And you are saying that you're going to listen to the voice of that family member? Or the voice of that boss? Who knows nothing, who is not a child of God? The voice of whoever has spoken, has been bold enough to speak in your life and tell you that you're nothing? Whatever self-esteem issues you may have right now as I'm speaking, it's, the, it's Jesus speaking, it's not me. He's saying you are the light of the world. You think if, if you meant nothing to him, he would have established you as the light of the world? The light. Meaning without you, people cannot see Without you, you are in that office, without your presence in that office, your boss, who is a non-believer, cannot see. Your colleagues cannot see. No one in that office can see anything unless you show up. Do, do you realize that? <laughs> That's who you are. That's who you are. So the Lord is saying that you are the solution to the darkness of the world. And he's not saying that you have the solution. There is a nuance here. He didn't say you have the solution. He said you are. You don't have it. You are the solution. Yourself, your presence is needed, is needed for that light. It's not something that you take to them. You will take yourself because you are that light. Your presence is needed for transformation to occur. You don't have the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the solution to the problems of this world. It is your nature, it is my nature to bring light, to give light. It is your nature, my nature to lighten. And this is whether you know it or not, 
Whether you want it or, or, it or not, that's what the Bible says. That's who you are. So change your mindset. Change your mindset. Let's look at verse 14b. You are a city that is set on a hill. And the last word, you cannot be hidden. <laughs> Did you hear that? You cannot be, be hidden. You are a city. The, 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 Jesus is saying, you and myself, we are like a city. We are set on a hill. Everybody that walks around sees that city because the city is on the hill. So maybe you were trying to hide. Maybe you didn't want people to see you. You didn't want people to notice you. Jesus is telling you that you have no choice. Whether you want it or not, you are the light and you cannot hide yourself. You cannot hide. That's who you are. You cannot hide. So our enlightening nature, enlightening nature is set in stone. Nothing can change it. Even if we try to deny who we are, as some of us do, we will be recognized. You, you remember Peter? <laughs> you remember Peter? He was trying to hide. Three times he was recognized. Three times. They looked at him. They, they said, no, you are, you are one of them. He went somewhere else. A, 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 a lady looked at him. They said, no, you, no, you are not like us. You look like them. So wherever you are, they see you, they know you, they can identify you. Whether you want to hide or not, they know who you are. So there is no point trying to hide your identity. And if God allows them to see you, it's because of the responsibility you have, the responsibility I have to bring light. That's why they can see you. That's why you cannot hide. We cannot be hidden. We cannot hide. Now why? Why is it that we cannot hide? Verse 15. Let's move to verse 15, please. Verse 15 says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I have rewritten this verse. To apply it to yourself, to apply it to myself. And this is what it says. Christ did not light you. Did not light me and put us under a basket. When Christ lit us, he did not put us under a basket. Instead, he put us on the lampstand of the word so that we can give light to, hope to all who are in the world. Christ himself is the author of the light that we have. Why? Because Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit. He is the author of that light. That's why that light will always be lit. That's why you cannot hide it. You cannot stop it from being. Because it comes straight from Jesus himself. He's the author of the light. In the book of Colossians, Colossians 1, 20, 27... The Bible says to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
you and I, we carry Christ in us. We carry the hope that the world needs. The hope of glory. The expectation, the sure expectations of those things that are sure to come. We do carry it. We carry that hope with us. That's why God placed us in the world to bring that hope. That's why we can, we can, we can act crazy to start a project like this. And this is a message that we are sending to the world that our priority as children of God are different from your priorities. That we do not function based on circumstances. The investments that we make are not based on what's happening around us. They are based on the faith we have in our, in our Lord. They are based on the word we receive from God. What we're doing here is because we receive a word from God. So we are making a difference. We are allowing our light to shine in this world at a time when nobody expects this. Nobody expects it. So we cannot turn off the light, the light of God in us. We can't. However, we can hinder that light. We can dim that light. We can prevent that light from shining fully. We can prevent. Look at what happens, what, 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 what God is saying in verse 16. Verse 16 of Matthew 5, it says, let your light so shine. Let your light so shine. So there's a level. We can choose to allow our light to shine to its fullest. Or we can choose to dim our light. Through some of the actions that we take. Through some of the things that we do. Jesus here is asking us to allow our light to shine, to so shine. The word so is there so that we understand he wants that light to shine to its fullest. To its maximum potential, to its maximum capacity. So we may not be able to turn the light off, but we can dim it. And that's not what Jesus wants. He wants us to let our light shine to the fullest. Now, how do we do that? How do we let our light shine to its fullest? Let's turn to Romans 12, verse 2. The very first thing to do, thank you. Romans 12, verse 2. The very first thing to do, the Bible says, and do not be conformed to this word, but be transformed. Do not be conformed to this word. Do not follow. A different version says, do not follow the pattern of this word. If we agree as we're establishing that we are the light of the word, if we agree that the word lives in darkness, it means there has to be a clear difference between the ways of the word and our ways. That's why we are, Paul is asking us here to not be conformed to the pattern of this word. Do not conform to the pattern of this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In order for us to be a perfect reflection of the light of Jesus, 
We need to allow our mind to be constantly transformed, to be constantly renewed. And how is our life renewed and transformed? Is by the word of God. We need to allow the word of God on a daily basis, on a regular basis, to transform our mind. Otherwise, otherwise we will follow the patterns of this word. We will follow the pattern of this word if we don't allow the word of God to transform our mind. And by doing so, we will dim the lights that we are. We may not help, but start thinking like the word. Remember, we live in the word. The word is dark. We live. We're right inside of the word. We're not out. Some people try to hide. They don't want to go out. They don't want to do this. But can you really help? You go to the grocery. You go to school. You go to your workplace. All of that is the word. The word is around us. So you can escape. There's no way to escape, to escape the word. We may not be from the world because our citizenship is in heaven, but we live in the world. So we need to be mindful of that. Because on a daily basis, we face the philosophy of the world. We face the thought process of the world. We face the mindset of the world. We face the beliefs of the world every single day in everything we do. Because the philosophy of the word, the mindset of this word is conveyed through different channels. If you've ever watched CNN, the philosophy of the word is there. MSNBC is there. Fox News is there. Facebook, it's right there. Twitter is there. Do you have a Facebook account? A Twitter account? Whatever social media account you have, the philosophy of the word is right there. How can you escape? You go out, the advertisement boards on the streets are all, are all with the, the philosophy of the word. How can you escape? Is there, a, is there a place where you can escape the thought process, the mindset of this word? It's important to be aware of that. That because we live in this world, the word has the potential to influence us. The word has the potential to change our thinking so that we will start conforming to the pattern of this word. That's why Paul is warning us that we are the light of the word. If we really want to allow this light to shine to its fullest, let's be careful. Let's be careful. I talked about MSNBC and all of that, there's Wall Street, there's Hollywood, there's Bollywood, and there's Nollywood. Yeah. That's how our mind is shaped. With Nollywood, the Bollywood, and all the woods that you want. Facebook Twitter, Instagram, there's one now that they call TikTok. All those things, and when I say TikTok, I think about my children. 
we parents, we have a lot to do. So all conditions are united so that we can conform to the pattern of this word. The only way for us to escape, the only way is to allow our mind to be renewed by the word of God every single day. So that's why when you go out, you face all those things, the Twitter, the, the Facebooks, the, the MSNBC, the CNNs, and all of that. You need to make sure that you take time to study the word of God. Because the word of God is going to override. The word of God has the power to override anything that the word may have thrown into your spirit, into your mind. The word of God would override. And it has to be a constant, a daily override. We need to override the pattern of the word on a regular basis. If you spend one day without reading your Bible, it's a problem. I'm serious. If you spend one day without reading your Bible, it is a problem. How can you expect to escape from the philosophy of the word. So let's be careful and make sure we allow the word to transform us and not be conformed to the pattern of this word. Now, the practical way, the practical way for us to allow the light that we are to shine, the practical way, let's go back to the book of Matthew 5:16. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. That they may see what? That they may see what? Your good works. Our good works. That's how practically, because I can stand here and say, let your light shine, let your light shine, and you leave there asking yourself, how do I practically allow my light to shine? How? Good works. And by good works, I don't mean your donations to the Red Cross or to the, to the whole, to Holy Cross or to whatever cross. That's not what I mean. That's what, those are good. Those are good, but that's not what the Bible is talking about here. Because they do. Those from the world, they do that. They invest in charitable organizations more than any one of us here can do. They do that. What are good works? There are so many, but I've just selected a few to give you an idea of how Jesus expects you and expects me to allow the light that we are to shine to its fullest. Your character. Your character. Do you live, do I live a life of integrity? Do we live a life of integrity or do we cut corners? It's as, simple, it's as simple as that. It's good we have evangelism. We have Dr. Patricia here who is the director for evangelism. She mobilizes us. We go out to talk about God. We preach the gospel. It's good. It's good. But these good works are not about going out and preaching the gospel. They are about who you are, who I am, on a daily basis in the world. 
Because we established that the world is in darkness. So the expectation is that every single day, in every single thing we do, that we will be the light. Our character. Do we live in integrity? In Genesis, when God called Abraham, Genesis 17 verse, verse 1, he said, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Blameless here means be a man of integrity. Are we men, are we women of integrity? Are we men and women of integrity? Brothers and sisters, without integrity, there is no trust. Lack of integrity would destroy any form of trust. And where there is no trust, there is no influence. You cannot influence this world if people don't trust you. So be it at your workplace, in your family, wherever you are, in your community. Once people know that you are not a man or a woman of integrity, nobody will listen to you. Nobody. And whatever light you are, you will just have dimmed that light right there. Nobody will trust you. Integrity. Remember Joseph in Genesis 39. Genesis 39, verse 8. When Potiphar's wife was behind Joseph, the Bible says, Joseph refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master doesn't know what is with me in the house. So I have power. He has committed all that he has in my hand. I know that. That's a fact. Yet, next verse. There is no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me. But, but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Is this our attitude? When faced with different life challenges, is this how we respond? Integrity. And we know that integrity eventually took Joseph to the throne. Where he was able to allow the light that he was to shine to its fullest. As prime minister of Egypt, bringing a solution to the problems of Egypt, which at that time were the problems of the world. Because Egypt was the United States of that time. Joseph allowed his light to shine through integrity to its fullest and he was able to provide a solution to the problem of the world of that time. So God is waiting for us in the area of integrity. This is serious, brethren. It is serious. It is so sickening to see a child of God who does not work in integrity. It's sickening. How can the world respect us? How will people look at us? What will people say of us? When you bring your Bible, you do your evangelism and all of that. If there's only one person there, nobody knows you. You go to that area where nobody knows you. You preach your thing. Oh, Jesus said this. God said that. And then in the middle, there will be just one person who knows you. One person. Oh, that guy? 
What? He's talking about what? The Bible? Please leave people alone. Leave us alone. This guy, he talks about what? Jesus? Leave us alone. I know him. I've seen him in situations. He did not demonstrate any integrity. And you want me to listen to him? Or to her? Those are little things that have to do with our daily life. We think the, 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 the work, the, the, this, this work of Christianity is just about quoting the verses of the Bible. It's about our daily life. That's where we manifest the light that we are. In our daily life. In our day-to-day relationships with the people around us. Are you Am I a man, a woman of integrity? Number two, our leadership style. <laughs> what kind of leader are we? When God entrusts us with the souls, with so many, or the souls, the souls of so many people at work, in our family, wherever, what kind of leader are we? How do we treat people? How do we treat people? Do we treat people with contempt? Do we look down to them? Because we think we are up there. We are the leader. We are the boss. Or are we a servant leader? The model of leadership that Jesus taught us. What kind of leader are you? What kind of leader I, am I? They say in the corporate world that people don't leave jobs, they leave their bosses. If you've ever left a job, you acknowledge that beyond salary, your relationship with your boss was critical in determining whether you stay in that job or not. So what kind of leader are you? When your employees or people under you, when they wake up in the morning to come to work, do they have headache because of the way you treat them today? Oh, I'm going there again. That boss again. Is that their attitude? Or do they see a loving person who cares about their needs? A person who wants to develop them. A person who wants to help them to move up. A person who wants to help them to identify their potential and fulfill it. Is that the kind of leader we are? That's how we allow our light to shine to its fullest. The world is in desperate need of servant leaders. The book of Peter, 1 Peter 5, 2-3 said, Be shepherd of God's flock. And here, anybody, if you're in a position of leadership, whether it's in church or wherever, you have a flock. Be shepherd of the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonored gain, but eagerly, verse 3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Examples. Are we examples? Number three, our worldview, our stances officially, 
How do we respond to the social, political, economic, and philosophical issues of our time? When we are engaged in discussions with people, what do we say? Do we systematically respond with a Christian worldview to the issues of our time? What is our stance when, it's come, when it comes to racial equality, gender equality, LGBT rights? Sometimes we function in the church as if those things, we had nothing to do with them because we are in the church. We come here and saw on Sunday, everybody looks, looks good. But we face those issues right out there. Right when we, we, we come out. We face those issues. You just need to turn, turn on the TV. Those issues are there. What is our response? What is our stance? LGBT rights, voting rights, civic engagement, political engagement, science and technology, even conspiracy th uh, theories. People are talking about different conspiracy theories concerning the COVID-19. What do we say about that? When we speak to our co-workers, to people around, what do we say? What do we tell them? Do we bring our Christian worldview up front? Or do we just say something that conforms with the pattern of the word? The word, brothers and sisters, is in desperate need of the wisdom of God. We are the light of the world so that we can bring the wisdom of God in all pressing issues that this world is facing. Regardless of where we are, God has strategically placed you, has strategically placed me where we are, where you work. You are not there by chance. You are there to bring the light, to bring a Christian worldview to the issues of the world. That's why you're there. That's why you're the light. That's why I'm the light. Not to hide. Nobody should know here that I go to church. Nobody should know here that I, I speak in tongues. How about our personal relationships? You know, at Harvest, there's a process here. When you want to be licensed or ordained, if you're married, the board will have an interview with your spouse. Yeah. <laughs> the purpose of that is to make sure that you are in one accord with your spouse. That you treat your spouse well. That you are a good husband or a good wife. That's the purpose. So how you treat people in your private relationships matters. It makes a difference. Marriages are broken. Where do you think the world is going to see examples of good marriages? Where? Where will the world see marriages that work? Nobody wants to get married anymore. If you have children, ask them. Speak to your children. They don't want to get married. Because the world has not produced examples of good marriages. So if marriage is a crisis a social or societal crisis, who is going to shine the light that the world needs to understand that marriage is an institution from God? If we don't take care of our marriages. You tell me. That's what bring the light, being the light means. If the world looks around and says and sees 
that the same way the guy has been married four or five times, that's exactly how you two have been married four and five times. What's the difference? What is the difference? There's no difference. If those who celebrate 50 years, 60 years of marriage are unbelievers, Anyway, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, that anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith. <laughs> I, I, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those in his household, he has what? Denied the faith. And he said he is, he is, Worse than an unbeliever. Worse. Wow. And you want to divorce? Yes, your marriages may be going through challenges. But what steps have you taken? Have you taken steps to resolve that? Are you following the pattern of the word that says, okay, if it doesn't work, I mean, just leave it and look for someone else. That's the pattern of the word. It's easy to divorce. It says you have denied your faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. I'll leave it there. Stewardship. Lastly. Stewardship. How do you use your time, your talents, and your treasures? Everything that God has blessed you with. He has blessed you with time, with talents, with treasures. How do you use them? What we're doing here, the sanctuary, the cathedral that we're building... It's a clear sign of how we use the time, the talents, and the resources that God has given us. That's what we're doing. We're showing the world that we prioritize the kingdom. Speak to your colleagues or people around you. How do they use their time? What do they do over the weekend when they're not working? Is that the pattern you want to follow? What do they do when they have money? What do they do with their money? Some of them makes six figures, seven figures, eight figures salary. What do they actually do with that money? What do they use that money for? We pray, we want God to bless us and so on and so forth. But if we do not prioritize the kingdom, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. So when we're talking about pledging, we're just saying, please, prioritize the kingdom in the way you manage your resources, your treasure. Please, we're giving you, God is giving you, is giving me an opportunity to prioritize the kingdom with what we are blessed with. So do we use our time, talents, and treasure to satisfy our selfish needs the same way the word does? Or do we prioritize God? Investing beyond using our time, talents, and treasure to build our future cathedral and sanctuary in obedience to God, it's foolishness to the word, but it shows where our priorities are. And really, lastly, lastly, I'm over my time. The reason why we should let our light shine is in Matthew 5.16. That the word may see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father in heaven. 
All of this is for the glory of God. So when we let our light shine to its fullest, we reflect the nature of God and we provide a response, a model, a solution to the issues of this world. And in doing so, God gets the glory and the word is attracted to him. That's the, that's the, that's the goal. That's the goal. The ultimate purpose of the light that we are, we are the light of the word because we need to serve as instruments for God's glory so that the word can turn to him, to the Lord. And here we are working to turn, to see a world where no one lives and no one dies without Christ. That will only happen when we allow our light to shine to its fullest. So we are the light of the world. That's part of our identity as children of God. We cannot hide. We cannot turn off the light. Because Jesus is the author of the light that we carry. So let's allow our light to shine to its fullest. Our light to shine through our good works that I've listed. And I'll end with this verse, Romans 8.19. The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits the creation. Eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The entire creation of God is waiting for you, is waiting for me to allow my light to shine. That's our duty. That's our responsibility. Amen. Amen.